back then, back in the day, it was where you had a bow and arrow and you had your horse and then you got to go get food. Well, nowadays I got to get in my vehicle and my shield is my mask. My, my shield is my hand sanitizer and those things that, that I got to prepare to protect myself. And you're, you're still a warrior, I guess you could say, and you got to protect your family and you have to protect your, your, your tribal members and your people. From beautiful, sunny San Diego, California, this is the Hatching Results Podcast, where we share school counselor experiences using data to improve programs, practices, and the profession of school counseling for the students we serve. Welcome, and thanks for joining us. My name is Trish Hatch, and it's time to talk about all things school counseling. Now, let's get started. So Felipe, how's your summer going so far? You've had two whole weeks to rest and relax. So you're raring to go, right? Yeah, just about. It's beginning to finally feel like summer, but as you know, the work is never really finished. Boy, that is so true, especially true for our topic on this podcast today. Yeah, so today we're going to have a chance to interview three Native school counselors who are actually alumni from San Diego State who work in the Navajo Diné Nation. Yes, and that's been extremely challenging for everyone there. And I'm I'm really looking forward to this conversation because there's so much more we don't know about what's happening on the ground for the students we serve. Yeah, and just to give a fair warning to our listeners, this is gonna be another heavy one. Um, but for me, it really helps demonstrate how devastating this pandemic has been in our own backyard. Obviously, depending on when or where you hear this, you may have a very experience, but this podcast will be focusing again on the effects of COVID. And we'll talk a little bit about Native American issues, but we're really only going to scratch the surface. But if you're interested in learning more, uh, it's extremely valuable for any school counselors. So to learn more, I suggest that listeners continue their learning by reading, understanding your own community, of course, and participating through ongoing dialogues. Exactly. And maybe they can share this podcast with others. I couldn't agree more. You know, we see the data many times but it's not the same as hearing the voices. And when school counselors can hear the voices from other school counselors on the ground about the knowledge and attitudes and skills that are needed right now working with these communities, it's so important and it helps us connect to what's really happening on the ground. But Felipe, is there any terminology that would be helpful for our listeners to know right up front? Of course. First of all, you're gonna hear the word Diné if you haven't heard it from me already, which means Navajo in their native language. Navajo, believe it or not, is actually a name that was given by colonizers. And of course, there's a little bit, since we're all speaking educationese, there's a few acronyms, of course, like BIE, which stands for Bureau of Indian Education, BIA, which is the same with Indian Affairs, and DODI, Department of Diné Education. You're also going to hear some words like Hogan, which is a small structure that looks a little bit like a gazebo, uh, but it's built using traditional architecture. And it's very important to Diné culture, rituals, and ceremony. Lastly, it's briefly touched upon, and again, I talked about the importance of understanding your own community, but it's important to know about terms like tribal sovereignty, language, cultural revitalization, and the big one, colonization, as it has a long impact on many Native communities, not just Navajo, throughout our country, and honestly, the whole world. Exactly. Thank you so much for taking the time to put the terminologies and the links for more information at the end of this podcast. So without any further ado, are we ready to go, Felipe? Let's do this. All right, you got it. Let's get started. So for our listeners today, our first guest is going to be Dr. Carol Robinson Zinyartu. Hello, Carol. Are you there? Hi, Trish. Yes, I sure am. Oh, it's so great to have you here. Um, I, For those of our listeners who don't know, Carol is a very special person in my life. She was one of the people that recruited me to San Diego State University and I had the honor and privilege of having her as my chair at San Diego State and also collaborating with her on the Native American Scholars and Collaborators Project. And this project is near and dear to Carol's heart, and she's worked on it for, I believe, over 30 years. Is that correct, Carol? Sure is. Carol, could you share with our listeners a little bit about the Native American Scholars Program 
and tell us why it was important to you to begin to do this work. Sure. When I started this work, a colleague and I were very concerned that our professions were very, very white dominant and that that was problematic. And even though our particular programs were more diverse than many, they were not doing what we wanted them to do. So we made a commitment to use grants or to try to use grants to bring in and support people from various backgrounds where there was a clear need to have people from communities that needed more support in the schools. The schools had been, we thought, failing a lot of our kids. It wasn't, although the kids were perceived as being the failures, we, we thought it really was a systemic issue and that we needed to learn and we needed to have people in the schools who could make a difference. And so one of my commitments um, in my work has been in, in the area of working with Native American issues and people um, and concerns. I've had people come into my life that have been absolutely marvelous as mentors and have helped me learn and grow tremendously. So we have used over the years with a lot of input from elders, mentors, community leaders, as well as indigenous authors. So I've just gone into a lot of the literature and information <clears throat> about what makes a difference, what what are ways of learning, what are ways of thinking and knowing that are consistent with indigenous thought, and how do, what does it have to do with school and school success and school failure? So we've had this native project for a number of years, as you said, and been really, really fortunate to bring in people like your guests today who are just wonderful men. Um, and one of the things, Carol, I know that's so central to this work is reducing the gap in the numbers of school counselors and school psychologists that are trained appropriately to serve Native American communities and indigenous youth communities. Absolutely. That's what's behind why we Why do you think that there's so few um, and, and how hard was it to recruit uh, Native American scholars? Uh, why, why do I think there's so few people that are, are competent in this area? Because, because the worldview is very unique. The issues are very unique and the issues across different communities are very unique. I mean, right now we're gonna talk about Navajo Nation, which is <clears throat> very rural and has its own dynamics and own language, own worldview, own way of thinking about the world, which is different than some other communities. There are many, 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 many communities um, of indigenous peoples, of Native American peoples. And so one of the issues has been the historical and intergenerational trauma that's happened. The, the policies of the U.S. have been so oppressive and genocidal that the relationships with the communities, the relationships across cultures has been very, very broken. And so there's very little trust for good reason. Um, and so we needed people that are from the community who want to go back and work in the community, um, who understand the issues and understand the strengths and resilience as well as the, the issues that would be called problems so that we can work from a culturally affirmative model is what we see is beginning to work. I recall when we had the opportunity to uh, present on the work that we were doing with the scholars at the American School Counseling Association conference and I, I do remember the great interest people had in this work and that they were quite unaware that there was a, a federal a U.S. Department of Education grant that you had written that supported the recruitment and the funding for tuition and, and for supports for Native American scholars? Well, the support has to be more than financial. The support has to be creating a space that's safe, um, that's sacred, that, and that really pays attention to the issues um, and the ways of learning that are sensible uh, for Native peoples. And so we really have worked very hard on that level of support. So we have a sense of community so Carol, in terms of recruiting future Native American scholars and collaborators uh, on your project, uh, what message would you like to send to those who might be considering applying uh, to your program? If you're considering coming into the, the graduate program in school psychology or school counseling, um, and you're really committed to working with indigenous communities, then take a look at our website and see what we do. Um, it's a lot of work, very strong commitment, a commitment to really being part of this community within the larger school counseling or school site community as well. We do a lot of reading, we do a lot of work with kids, we're in community, 
we're creating curriculum, we're delivering interventions. Um, and we spend just a lot of time together, listening to our stories, telling our own stories and doing our own growth process as well. So in a nutshell, um, that's, that's sort of the parameters of the kinds of things that we do. Well, one of the, the greatest joys for me as a professor there at the program was getting to know um, so many of our diverse students and learning so much more about Native American scholars. I, I really had not had the experience, even though I live here in San Diego, to have you know, the opportunity to work with students uh, on the reservation. And the short time that we had together on that project was very enlightening for me and very helpful. And I would encourage any counselor educators who haven't had the opportunity to support placement of students in Native American schools and schools on the reservation to consider that option because it's, it's a gift back. It's a gift both ways. And for those who want more information, I hope that uh, they'll take a look at this and encourage and recruit those who may be interested to, to please look at these programs because we need more school counselors and more school psychologists to, who've been trained in this way and who can uh, go back to the reservation and support the community in the way that the three gentlemen we're gonna speak to today have done. Thank you, Carol. And thank you for joining us today. For those of our listeners who may not know, we encourage you to look at our map that we'll provide in this podcast. The Navajo Nation extends into the states of Utah, Arizona, and New Mexico, covering over 27,000 square miles of unparalleled beauty, or Navajo land is larger than 10 of the 50 states in America. All three of the gentlemen today are from the Navajo Nation and are currently serving there in an educational capacity. So I will go ahead and introduce our three guests. First, we have Sean. He is a high school counselor and coach working in a school near what's known as the heart of the Navajo Nation, Chinle, Arizona. We next have Dewey. He also is known as Dwayne. And he's also a high school counselor working in a town called Shiprock, which is in the northwest corner of New Mexico near the Four Corners Monument. And definitely last but not least is Derek. Derek is actually an administrator and former school counselor. He works for DODI, which is the Department of Diné Education, and that's in Window Rock, Arizona, which is roughly on the border of New Mexico and Arizona near a town called Gallup. Gentlemen, whoever wants to speak first can do this. What has it been on the like on the ground for you personally since this began, what's been the, the story and the trajectory of how this experience has unfolded? And I mean, I've read that you now have 57 hour curfews on the weekends. You know, what is the real situation for someone living there right now? It's been very um, emotionally draining, first of all. When this pandemic started, it, it, we didn't know, we, we just heard uh, the virus on, you know, existing in, in, in Europe and, and, and then elsewhere across the ocean. And it wasn't expected. We, we, um, at that time, people were kind of joking about it, like, oh, it's, it's not going to come near us. It's not going to come near. And then all of a sudden, in the heart of the Navajo Nation, once it was, once the coronavirus appeared in the United States, it hit the heart of the Navajo Nation, a little place called Chilchimato community school. It was a school that where this pandemic started, as you probably read in, in the media. For the Department of Diné Education, where I work, I received that first call. And it was scary. It was unexpected. But we had to pull things together to help the community and students. So the department brought forth the BIE, the BIA, the Navajo Nation President and Vice President's Office, the Navajo Nation Command Center, the FEMA uh, people that were already established. And it, it was really, it was scary because, you know, when we heard that the individuals were being flown to Phoenix for medical help, then thereafter schools were shut down and that would play a bigger, a bigger issue because jurisdictional boundaries came an issue on the Navajo Nation. Does the Navajo Nation have jurisdiction of public state schools? Do we have jurisdiction of private schools? 
So uh, the, it, my office started communicating with the uh, Department, Navajo Nation Department of Justice, and basically, uh, due to the due to our sovereignty rights, it was determined that Navajo Nation had jurisdiction. But we had to face these challenges to protect our, to try to protect our children in a quick amount of time. Luckily, the states, the, the governors of New Mexico, uh, worked with the Navajo Nation president in closing down our schools and, and following the governors of the three states to assist in shutting down the schools. So it was a huge monumental task that happened. And then we didn't know what to do about how these students are going to eat. Um, most of our students rely on the, the food that they obtain. Um, on the reservation, specifically breakfast and lunch. And then some of them, some families struggle with providing dinner. So it, it, it served many challenges. And then when the curfews came into effect, that became even a more struggle because families couldn't go to the uh, nearest supermarket or nearest convenience store to obtain food and essential items. And by the time they did show up to Walmart, everything was gone. There was no toilet paper, there was no napkins, there was, there was no Lysol, there was no Clorox. And these people didn't have what the, the, the urban uh, people living, the urban Navajos where they were living, they didn't have that opportunity to buy these supplies. Right, so, I mean, you have some areas where prior to the pandemic, they already had challenges of rural families some of them not having running water. Exactly. So about, for, I think it's estimated that about 40% of the Navajo, within the Navajo Nation do not have running water or electricity because they choose to live in very um, uh, rural areas that have been part of their family for, you know, hundreds of years. You know, it's, it's, it's a choice that they make to to continue to practice their heritage, their family uh, heritage and so forth. So Dwayne and Sean, on the ground then, you're working with families who already have many challenges of being rural two hours away, like you say, from a Walmart. Imagine you're driving all the way there and when you get there, they don't have anything you need. It's not like Amazon is dropping a box off on your front porch like everyone else has. Like what yeah. are the real challenges these families are facing? Uh, yes, Trish, and that's one of the things. It's Sean, um, and uh, the thing is, you have to prep for the, for the trip. You have to be ready for, to go on this journey, and if you're going to go to the to the next to the Walmart, to you got to have your supply list. You got to have your vehicle ready. You got to get the gas. You have to make make sure you have your mask. Make sure you have your gloves. Make sure you have the clothes that you're going to wear that you know you're going to you you're, you're going to have to take off when you get back because you're you're going to be on the reservation you know you're going to drive 2 hours hour and a half away to the nearest uh, shopping area and then you got to prep yourself to go into the shopping area and and just thinking about that you know that's I was I'm, well, you wonder about your kids and when I say your kids the kids that you work with and what they have you know if their what their families have to go through too and you know it, it it was it's it was stressful. I mean it's stressful. It, you know there's anxiety, all those things that that we talk about as school counselors with our students. But as a, even as a school counselor, you want to talk to your some some people uh, some people about that. Fortunately for me, I, you know I had my uh, my coworkers to to collaborate with and consult perspective. So we kind of kept ourselves um, in check in that, and I think that that was a real plus to have that kind of support. Uh, this is the way. Are doing. I think to add to what both Derek and Sean were talking about, some of the challenges. There, are, there are families that are facing challenges like not having a vehicle. Again, walking, uh, having to walk like close to sixty miles to the nearest Walmart, or hitchhiking sixty miles to the nearest Walmart to and back, and trying to beat curfew. You know, it's. Uh, uh, some of uh, some other families really face uh, some real tough challenges uh, when this pandemic really hit a res. And that's not to even, that's outside of even thinking about the grief that they may be dealing with if a family member is sick or has passed. That That is so true. That was my number one concern. How are we going to provide 
social emotional support for students who number one do, do not understand the virus number two is if it does affect their family members what kind of support can we provide number three is when they experience a family member who loses their life how can we provide this with with the curfews with the the closures of of um, the nearest urban town which was gallup new mexico who's gonna how are we gonna do this and that was my conversation with the, the bureau of indian education so we issued hotlines uh, where students can call if they if they need assistance with their emotions schools are are calling each and every child one by one to, to check on their emotional status uh, and their parents. So, um, but in terms of having like a broadcast, like something of this nature to, to have students call in to say, you know, this is what I'm experiencing. And then without, you know, with following FERPA and HIPAA laws, just listening to them so that, and sharing their stories so that students feel that I'm not the only one going through this there is a, a way out there is a light at the end of the tunnel type of thing so these things were brought up um and and discussed but we're still it, it because of the technology the, the hot spots on the navajo nation were very rare when this pandemic started but working with the new mexico public education department in santa fe and working with the arizona department of education office of indian education in phoenix um, and trying to develop ways to uh, set up hotspots. Those have been the many challenges, but we are succeeding. We are, the states are really stepping up to help in the education process. Previously to the pandemic, if you can give me kind of an example, what percentage of your students had access to Wi-Fi or electronic devices as compared to now? Like how has that improved at all? So what I know is, is that the, the, the children that are located near the border towns, like mm -hmm. Gallup, uh, Farmington, Page, uh, Flagstaff, uh, Winslow, Arizona, Holbrook, Arizona, they have more of the accessibility. But if you go deeper into the Navajo Nation, uh, like Shiprock, like many farms, there's more challenges there because we have canyons that cell phones cannot get into, forests that, that uh, Wi-Fi that cannot travel through the forest or through the rocks of the, the canyons and so forth. So, so these Wi-Fi devices that were donated by the state of New Mexico, were, were, right now they're in the trial phase. The, the state of New Mexico has, has, has issued 700 Chromebooks, but we have approximately 30,000 students on the Navajo Nation um, that encompasses about 81 public schools, uh, 33 BIE operated schools, 30, 29 tribally controlled schools, five residential programs, and two private schools that these 30,000 30, students attend. So we, we, you know, anything helps at this point. So how have your roles as school counselors changed and shifted fundamentally? This is doing, I think the biggest change uh, for me is the communication and uh, with the families before it was really talking with, the, with our students, but now um, I'm having a more open conversation with parents, uh, whether that be through email, text, you know, I think it, it really opened up a door for, uh, at least for me, to meet with the parents or communicate with the parents where it it doesn't seem like there's a, a power struggle uh, where I'm sitting in my office or I'm having a conversation and not telling them the pros and cons or strengths and weaknesses and um, having a, a down-to-earth conversation with parents. So all of this is also happening. I mean, you're having to, you know, be proactive and prepare and think on the fly and be flexible and all of those things counselors tend to do anyway but in a in a whole new and in a different way but at the same time I know that you are also affected personally can you share with our audience a little bit about how this has 
personally affected you? Um, right when um, uh, we had, we started hearing about the um, the outbreak coming to the Navajo Nation as uh, Derek was talking about around that time, my, my father uh, passed away, dad passed away. And that was, um, that was, that was hard. That was uh, really challenging. Uh, we uh, went straight into um, our spring break. And uh, when our spring break, that's when they started shutting down the schools and started limiting a lot of the access to government buildings and cutting back hours. But man, it was, it was definitely you know, coming into one nightmare and waking up in a totally different nightmare. But it's it's been uh, challenging because uh, because social distancing, coming together as a family, that's been a, a little that's been really hard. Well, and you you're having to deal with the grief of your own family's loss and then be there for other people at the same time. And it's yeah. it's not like there's another crisis team that can come in and do this. I mean, you're you're doing everything all at the same time and. And when we think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, everyone's just at the survival mode right now. And at the same time, you're trying to support them with their survival needs, you know, some of them water and, 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 you know, supplies and food and technology. And at the same time, teachers are trying to teach. Um, but uh, it's, I can't imagine how challenging it must be for all of you to, to be in that space. I mean, family is so huge and, the cultural connection is so important. The trauma of all of this must be impacting you in so many different ways. Can you speak to the impact on, on you culturally in a way that our audience can understand that, um, the, the importance and the connection of family and the impact this is having on the communities you serve? What I'm beginning to see in terms of the impact uh, in, in how our culture visualizes or understands this virus. When this virus first came to the Navajo Nation, we try to look for a, I guess, a band-aid, if you will, to say that this virus will come and go just like the last one. And that virus took many Native American lives throughout the United States to, to the point where most tribes on the East Coast um, almost became extinct. But when it hit, we, have, we hear stories to try to band-aid what is happening now that this virus will come and go just like the last one, just like the last one that was brought to us by um, non-Native Americans. We will get through this. We will, we will, we will conquer and, and move forward. That was sort of like the, the band-aid approach because the severity of this COVID-19 is far worse than what had what take what took place back in 1819 and i say this because this is what i what i've been hearing from our leaders and not to say that they're they're making excuses or anything but they're trying to keep the the community's hopes that we will get through this we will proceed with our our culture and our language and we will we will conquer this there on youtube there's a a YouTube called Navajo Strong, and a lot of sub celebrities have joined in on on this fight to, to help the, the Navajo Nation conquer this virus. And so, and with that being said, is that when I was standing in line to get my mail because of social distancing, it took about 50 minutes just to get my mail. And while I was in line, there was an elderly lady that came out and after receiving her mail and people were all wearing that, their mask and she wasn't. And um, there was a, a two guys standing behind me six feet apart and they were having a, a loud conversation because of the, the, the social distancing. And the, the elderly lady was standing there and she was listening to their conversation like, you know, this happened to my family. This 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 is what's going on in our area things like that and the, the elderly lady surprisingly said in navajo she said we're, we're going to overcome this so all you in order to defeat this virus all you got to do is eat something like soup is what she said 
and my mouth is dropped and under, under my mask. The, my point being is that this is what our people are believing because of the previous uh, viruses that came through the Navajo Nation, that we will, we will proceed, we will move forward. But it's, it's having, this virus is a really affecting our, Navajo, our, our elderly more so than the middle age or the, the younger generation. It's affecting our elderly. And I say that because I lost my aunt yesterday to the virus. Oh. Her husband, she, he passed away on Saturday. Oh. A few days apart. And now they're going to have a joint funeral on Monday. Oh. It's, it's, it's going to hit the heart of our Navajo language. It's going to hit the heart of the knowledge of our culture because our elderly um, are the ones are your that stories. they remember the stories. They, they know everything in detail. And we're losing our elderly at an alarming rate. Mm. And I'll pause there for the other gentleman. Mm. No, I'm just. I just, I just want to say I'm so, so sorry, Derek. My heart yeah. comes and my prayers are with you. I'm so sorry. I can't imagine what it's like to be in your position right now. I mean, you're, you have so much responsibility. Do you even have time to grieve? Do you have time to visit the ill? You know, there's your family members who you want to see. In addition to the, the fear that the history is is dying with the people, it's also your opportunity to to be with them as they pass and to grieve in your way. And that is true, Trish. When we when we are losing our elderly, when like I lost my aunt, we we don't we don't have the opportunity nor as her own kids or grandkids don't have that, we're not given that opportunity to say goodbye mm -hmm. um, because of the restrictions um, of the hospitals. And it's been very challenging. So when you, when they posted a, the donations for the funeral and you, and you log on to that donation page and you see their picture. And no, uh, you know that you're not going to ever see them again. Yeah. So I think that is a difficult part. And plus the respect that Navajo Nation have um, when you when you say goodbye, um, you don't have that ability because they will be already pre put underground or in most cases, we've heard in some cases that some people are just being, because of the backlog of the mortuaries, some people have no um, option but to cremate. And, and mm -hmm. for Navajo, that is not the Navajo way. But because of the, there's, because of the, the there's no room in the, the funeral homes. So they, they have to result to cremation, which is, it goes against our culture and maybe some cultures have that but it that's the only option and and they have to take it i'll pause there. just one more way people are violating your cultural traditions in a sense yes uh hi this is sean um hey derek uh sad to hear about your um your, your family um, at the same time, uh, I think uh, with the cultural aspect of the challenges, as, as a tribal member, you're, you're really close to your family. My nieces or my sister or my you know, cousins and my family members, it, you know, we hung out and all that stopped. And that was probably one of the most challenging part of being um, a tribal member is the cultural connection that is being brought up and also the, the family connection of, of being with your family. All of a sudden you cannot hug each other, you cannot touch or you cannot shake hands with somebody else and you gotta wear a mask now and you gotta wear gloves and, and stuff like that. Those definitely had, has an impact on interaction with each other and it's, it's tough, you know, it's, it's tough at times when you see family and you can talk to them from a distance 
it's not person it's not it's not personal but yet when and before the pandemic it was very personal you get to hug him and you get to talk and all that stuff and there was no barriers and now there's this barrier that uh, this virus brought and i think that's that's one of the challenges that that is happening also the other part too is you hear about the deaths of the, the that the virus brought. There's extended families, some families, and you just constantly hear it and experienced it and are recovering from the virus. And it's it's scary. And we hear those personal experiences that they're going through, and it's challenging. It's sad to say, but it seems like at times you feel kind of get numb and, and you don't know how to react to that kind of stuff. So those are things I think as a counselor is very tough to deal with at times. Even though as a counselor, you're taught how to deal with grief, how to how to talk about that. And in counseling, you say you take care of you and you try to do that. But when it comes to a situation like with the pandemic, it challenges you and we're still going through it and it's scary. Thank you. And and I think it's, you know, opening, I can't imagine how it's not just opening up wounds of historical trauma and colonization and all of the other ways in which, you know, you've suffered and it, it seems as though there isn't even time to process it. That is correct. Since this pandemic started, you're covering multiple projects, you're covering multiple situations, and you're working fast, and sometimes you forget to eat lunch because of the severity of the situation. The, the, the calls that come in asking for help you just don't have time to eat. And there was many days where I didn't eat my lunch and I did take my lunch, but you just don't have time to eat it. And then you, you end up working till eight o'clock or nine o'clock or even 10 o'clock at night. And then you have to drive home during a curfew in hopes that you're not gonna be uh, cited $1,000 for breaking curfew. Those, these are the things that it's just not, it's, it has been nonstop since March. And, and I'm speaking for myself because I, I am emotionally and physically exhausted. And when you come home, you have to completely drench yourself in Lysol in hopes that you won't give it to your parents. You uh, have a bucket of water with, with Clorox in there and a, and a rag and you wipe down yourself, your arms and and clothes and then the Clorox just dries out your skin so much. I mean, there's these things that we have to deal with and I'm, I'm pretty sure it's, it's elsewhere as well, but it's, it's just been nonstop. So Derek, I mean, okay, first of all, I think you're a central worker. Like I think there ought to be some, I don't know, dispensation for people who are essential workers. But secondly, I, and I'm not going to mince any words. I'm like, it must really, Upset you is a nice word, I'll say. When you see now on TV so many people who are gathering at large events who don't seem to be taking the same care you're taking, you know, and, and seem rather flippant about it, it's as though they don't know or see or believe the impact it can have on others. I mean, how that must impact you greatly when you're going to all this care to protect your, your family members and your people. Exactly. And when I see it on the news and I see these gatherings and on Navajo, we're like trying to force people to stay home um, with that understanding that when they see on, when our people see on TV that, oh, I guess it's okay to go out because, you know, there's a park full of people protesting. That makes it hard for my people to stay home and just really, truly protect themselves. And I think that has something to play in terms of the speed that the virus has moved into the Navajo Nation. Yeah, with it, with the cultural aspect, seeing friends and family out in uh, uh, grocery stores, it's very eerie. Because I, I noticed I had to fight a lot of my own um, impulses of wanting to go up there and shake hands, especially with some people that are I haven't seen in a long time to give them a hug. In our culture, uh, shaking hands is really um, one of the big, one of a, a big thing in our culture. You shake hands when you greet each other or and before you leave, it's, and it's just not one person. It's like everybody that you would have to uh, say your goodbyes to when you're leaving and then make sure everybody know you left. And that part of it is really, you know, 
it it leaves a very uneasy feeling in in my stomach when I when I can't really greet my my family. And you also have family members that are not on the reservation, you know, and they're not even allowed to visit now as well. So that's an, an additional dynamic that may be impacting your families. Just, yeah. just with the pandemic and uh, the, when they were talking about uh, the last pandemic and, and traditionally, you know, some people uh, like my mom or his family members, they talk about when their mom or their grandparents were alive and they're the only ones who survived or they're the ones who knew about that pandemic back then and how they had to not go to certain hogans at the time because of the of, of what occurred back then and that kind of came up with the historical trauma aspect of it where you know they, they were sharing those kind of information and it's sad to hear about the stories of the struggles of being the only one who survived that's kind of happening right now with certain families and there's you know some sometimes uh, you hear about certain families they're, they're all gone is something I found out yesterday about a family or else the only person who survived is is the mother and that's it. And so it's that process of trying to understand what has happened in the past and what's going on right now. And then how do we overcome it and how do we how do we survive it? The way I the way the, the other two gentlemen brought up was that if we're gonna go to a store or go somewhere. I'm the only one that go, goes in a vehicle. I'm the only one that that goes out and and gets to get the supplies, get the food and stuff like that. And I guess the way I would look at it is nowadays is that back back then, back in the day, it was where you had a bow and arrow and you had your horse and then you got to go get food. Well, nowadays I got to get in my vehicle and I and my shield is my mask, my my shield is my hand sanitizer. And uh, those things that that I got to prepare to uh, protect myself and go on a journey. And it's it's you're you're still a warrior, I guess you could say. And you got to protect your family, and you have to protect your um, your 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 tribal members and your people and stuff like that. And it also really impacts the role of ceremony and the sacredness of ceremony because you can't really gather in the way you have in the past. I think with a uh, medicine men association, they've been meeting, I think weekly, and they just passed uh, uh, requesting people who are doing ceremonies that do have large gatherings, no more than like five people. And uh, if it is in uh, one of our um, our hogans, then they would, again, had to, had to hear this social distancing with masks or face shields if they were going to be uh, participating in type, uh, this type, uh, those, those ceremonies. So it, it has really impacted a lot of our ceremonial processes, especially around this time. A lot of people would be gathering for the summer ceremonies. Right. Can I ask all three of you, in what ways, um, if any, do you think that what's happening in the Navajo Nation might be misunderstood by by those of us who were, who were watching the news and who aren't you know in your experience what would you like people to understand um, that maybe they don't understand and that you'd like to clarify if if there are misunderstandings in terms of what what i think can be misconstrued is the 40 percent that i talked about the of the navajo nation not having running water or electricity that is true but but it's it, in certain circumstances, it's part of our culture to haul water because before electricity came, that's what we did. And so a lot of people like that. They enjoy that aspect of Navajo living. So I guess the misinterpretation is that, uh, yeah, they don't have running water, but and therefore they're, they're very poor. It's not that case. We, we, Yes, some people are, are struggling financially, but it's sort of like a choice. And this land has been passed down to generation, generation. I'm gonna make that decision. And that's how I'm going to live. I remember my grandfather living almost in, in, in a desert-like area, but that's where he wanted to live. We, I remember there was a point where my, my parents, my mom and, 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 and her siblings, my aunts and uncles said, let's, put up a restroom for him 
because he's getting old uh, rather than an outhouse. But he didn't want it. He said, I want to live the way I want to live. Even when electricity was uh, imposed into his house, I remember him saying, I'm going to use the kerosene lamp. I'm going to use candles. He didn't want to use electricity. He chose to get on a horse and he loved to do that rather than uh, climbing in, in the vehicle. He liked things in that manner. It sounds like he was honoring his elders. And at the same time, though, that becomes a challenge for those who want to move, I don't know, move forward, I guess, or to, it, is it a political issue? It's a family generational issue as well? Does it cause dissension within the families or? No, because there's an understanding. No. I'll, I'll stop, go ahead. Yeah. It's a choice and to come back to for us to go to San Diego State and go to school there and get our get our education there and then come back to the res. It's it's a choice and I think one of the things with that is the misconception of 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 the lack of water or the lack of this and that. There, the other beauty part about that is that you know there that some that it's it's in a rural area. Some people are still negative with, you know, avoiding the, the, the virus and they're doing, they're doing it in a, in, a, in a way where they're very careful of what they do and they're, you know, that's what they're doing. And the thing with that is that what's keeping them safe too is, the, is the being in a rural area where there's nobody within a mile or two miles uh, from the, where they live. But of course, you know, there is positive with, with the virus and that's where we're trying to minimize that. And I think it's coming to a point where we're, we're, at least, we're starting to see the positive side of that. And, and I think that's one of the benefits of, of living on the risk. In what ways have you felt supported by the external? I know that you've had some people donating things. Can you share with us what you've received and, and how that's been received? My mom was, she works with uh, the Navajo Hopi COVID-19 relief and they've received uh, donations through monetary or masks and face shields and also um, some food. And there are people all over the Navajo Nation that are uh, delivering supplies to remote areas. Because it's so remote, it is challenging. But one of the things that uh, we've seen is uh, a lot of people coming together to make sure that some of our elders that are afraid to go out and maybe live in by themselves have at least something that they don't have to worry about in the immediate future. Governor Cuomo from uh, New York, he called our, our Navajo Nation president to offer some support and offer some advice about how, how to handle it. That was like right in the middle of March or the end of March. And also Ireland donated a lot of funding to, to the tribes in, in the United States because of the potato famine that a lot of natives helped out with Ireland and sent some, uh, back, when, uh, back then they sent some uh, food and some help to Ireland during their time of need. And Ireland offered their, wanted to repay the favor to to a lot of our Navajo Nation. And the actor that I was talking about earlier, Sean Penn, he, he actually came out and uh, was helping the first couple of weeks. Not only did he set up a uh, 501c3 for people to help donate, he came out and started helping and delivering. This is Derek. Right now I'm faced with another challenge. As of Monday, our office building was compromised. Um, to where one of our essential staff tested positive and we didn't know until three days later. With that, I didn't know if I was exposed and I, don't, I didn't know if I brought it home. So it, it really, the, the recent passing of family members just really impacted me to the greatest extent. So I think this is where my counseling techniques that were learned is where I'm applying it to myself. Um, because as, as, as we always tell our, our students, we have to take care of, you have to take care of you first before you even start to go forward. 
and I think that's what I'm applying is is trying to take care of me and so uh, waiting for the test results to come back hoping that it's comes out negative is something that it's very anxiety driven um, you don't sleep very well on top of what you got to do with your job and try to manage your job and try to make decisions and during the past couple of days when serious decisions needed to be made it was very difficult for me to think because there's so many things already in my mind the worriness of possibly exposing my family and not knowing if I have the virus or not. So hopefully by tomorrow, I'll receive my call to say that I'm negative. Dealing, having to deal with it one more night is, is hard. So there's, I, and I can only imagine how many people are going through this throughout the United States and the world and, and, and even my reservation because we, you, you can practice the most safest steps if you're essential staff to, that's mandated to go to work. You, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, the, I almost feel like the virus still came through. It's still, and, and I think what has really helped me is my faith. I know some people don't utilize that as often, but in our culture, it's very strong. And, and we have to, no matter what we do with the utmost precautions that we take and we are, are possibly exposed, we have to result to our faith. And that's what I've been living on the past three days now. And I may sound emotional, but um, maybe it's because I'm emotionally compromised. It's, it's very difficult at this time. And, and the hope is that you don't want to do this again. You don't want to experience this again. Maybe the second time around would be stronger, but the worry still doesn't go away. So I wanted to just share that because we're, we are the biggest tribe in the United States, but this virus might very hurt the tribes within, the, within New Mexico and, and probably as well as other tribes in the United States to where it may even, as our numbers are growing, now it's gonna be even decreased. So I wanted to share that. Derek, I feel so honored um, to hear your words. I feel it viscerally in my bloodstream. And I don't know what else to say other than I would like to ask if, would you be open to taking a moment and provide us some, some healing words? This is Gary. Um, <clears throat> all I um, I don't speak very much Navo. All I can offer is Nato uh, Jondole. John Hesling. John Hesling. John Hesling. John Hesling. I don't. I think that those words have never been more true at this time. <clears throat> it is Sean. Um, I agree, and I think uh, by by Janskegi, you know that that was beautiful. Um, that's what we want. We want uh, uh, beauty, and and I think that's one thing that we we try to make sure that that's in in front of us, behind us, all around us, and also protection wise, as for Derek, you know, to protect him and from with the with 
hopefully he's he's going to be a negative and with this uh, test that he's getting um may he you know may, may he be protected from the virus uh, from here on out and i think that's something that we try to share with each other as as tribal members to 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 support each other that way does anyone have anything else they would like to share before we close trish um and uh you know Felipe, thank you for giving us the opportunity to talk to you guys from our, I, I would say for me, it's from my personal experience um, of what we've, what, what, what we've gone through here on the reservation with uh, the pandemic, um, with also with our, with our profession, our personal lives here. And uh, we want to share this, to me, share this information because um, we don't have a voice sometimes out there in the real world and to have this opportunity to do it, especially to the people who help others who are, when I say that, I'm talking about uh, school psychologists or school counselors or support staff within the school. We have uh, students who are from different uh, tribes or different, pe different places and the thing to, to give them the opportunity to hear their voice and just to ask them, you know, where are you from? You know, what, what, you know, what, what do you like? Those kind of things. And that's one of the things that I think that connects us with our students back home here on the res is that one of the first things we ask is where are you from? And, uh, you know, and we get, we know if they're from a certain place uh, that we know, we might know their families. We might know their extended families. We might know their brothers and sisters or cousin brothers or somebody, you know, somebody within the family. And that's how we connect. And I think one of the things that's ha that's not happening now in the real world is that there's that disconnect. And um, and I think that's something that uh, counselors need to kind of see it from that from that lens and realize that there's connections with uh, people. And I think that's one of the things that we that makes us a tribe, I guess you could say, in the school counseling world. And so I just wanted to share that with you guys. I just want to say thank you uh, to each and every one of you for giving me this opportunity. I I think one thing that I wanted to um, is just to say that um, but I'm really not that salty for all my Navajo listeners. And uh, the way um, one thing that really caught my um, my attention the last time when we were talking about the our elders being out there and living living there by choice, and then I know that in Western society it can be really hard to understand, but it, it's a it's a way of life to give a little bit of context, like. Our elders are out there living, uh, living in a way that gets them up in the morning, and where they offer their prayers and do their responsibilities and duties throughout the day. That connects them. You know, it's it's not a, it's not um, something to be ashamed of. It's something to be proud of. Like um, the best way that I can describe it is to take that uh, way of life away from them is to take the work away that a lot of uh, school counselors feel very passionate about working with the schools is to, that's the way that it they would feel is that emptiness inside. Thank you. He also said he likes tacos. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just joking about that part. <laughs> That. <laughs> yeah, we needed that. We need that. Oh, let's put our feelings on. I I am so grateful to each and every one of you. Um, Carol, you're still here. I'm so blessed to know that you were able to stay with us. Would you like to give some feedback? I I just feel so deeply um, uh, grateful to be part of this community, um, to hear from each of you, and it it just reminds me of the beauty of hearing you all speak from your hearts and hearing the emotion and hearing the tradition, hearing everything that's in, that comes out in your words. I, I, it's very beautiful. I'm also really just very cognizant of how resilient the Diné people are. 
how very, very resilient you are and resourceful and creative. And in my prayers, I know that your resilience will continue to carry you. Um, and you, you, will, you will still be there. You will. To Carol, to Derek, to Sean, to Dewey, and to my phenomenal producer, Felipe, I want to thank you all for this amazing opportunity to learn, to grow, to understand, to deepen our awareness of a very critical time in the Navajo Nation. I'm grateful to you for sharing your stories at the end of a very busy day. Um, and I hope that we can stay connected. And if there's any other way we can assist you, please do let us know. For our listeners, um, we will be giving you information on where you can send donations. And we will give you a list of information on who you can send those donations to. And you can trust that they will go to the people they need to serve. Thank you again, everyone. And please go out and take care of yourself and do as, as they said, put your mask on first school counselors, take care of yourself so you can support the students you serve every day. A quick update. We found out days later that Derek actually tested negative for COVID-19 and he's very relieved. All three of our guests continue to work with students throughout New Mexico and Arizona, assisting them in coping and achieving their dreams throughout the pandemic. The Navajo Nation, like many tribes and communities, continues to be adversely affected by this pandemic and any help that you can provide would be greatly appreciated. Our guests recommend the Navajo Hopi COVID Relief Fund, which can be found on Facebook or by going to NavajoHopiSolidarity.org. We'll put a link to that and a few other links on our website for more information. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you on the next podcast.